Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. Hello, I hope you guys are all, you ladies, are all having a fabulous summer. I know for me, I am, oh my gosh, here comes my cat. I literally cannot be in my living room, waving my hands, talking without my cat coming and needing touch. He's such high emotional needs. And I'm actually just going to be honest about (laughs) what that brings up in me. I, his high emotional needs triggers me and I really look at myself. I'm like, how could you ever be a parent if your cat triggers you? (laughs) Because the other day he kept meowing and meowing for touch and I gave him bone broth to basically shut up. And like, that's a parent tactic. One that I don't want to do if I have kids. You know, your kid is crying and crying and crying and you give him a sucker to shut up. Well, I did that to my cat, so that humbles me, right? (laughs) It's, oh my gosh. So anyways, yep, it's summertime, and I am deep in shadow work, honestly. I haven't really done this deep shadow work in a long time, but it's necessary because I took a long break, I feel like. And 80% of it is fun. It's not, it doesn't feel heavy or tough. It feels exciting and the work that absolutely needs to be done because I am bringing the unconscious conscious right now. I am excavating the depths of my shadows, the unconscious beliefs I have never faced in myself. That is what I am doing this summer. And it started in June, so it's mid end of July right now. I've been in it for a full month and I'm going to talk about the concept that really has blown my mind wide wide open. It's called Existential Kink and it's by Carolyn Elliott. I discovered this in June and it is the absolute next level if you are into manifestation work. But if you're not into manifestation work, the concept of existential kink is basically just being radically honest about your life and with yourself. So what this concept is, and it's not necessarily a new concept, okay? Because, you know, my, my chiropractor for years has been saying, you know, your ego is gaining something from the situations you say you don't like. So this has been a concept that I have been introduced to for years, but existential kink is just different languaging on this. So her languaging is very interesting. She you know, uses words like, how do you get off on your pain? How do you get off on the suffering in your life? Um, so her terminology and stuff is very interesting, but there's just an aspect of her work that I needed and resonated with in the most perfect moment. So what this concept is, is what I already said, but with languaging on how are you getting pleasure from your pain? How are you actually enjoying the suffering in your life? Because you are in some way, 
if something's present in your life, your ego is benefiting from it in some way. Probably an emotional need is being fulfilled. So an example of this is, for me, I was the middle child of six children. And for me to have quality one-on-one time with, with my mother, I had to be sick. So I had constant ear infections. And we would even travel like two hours to this holistic doctor to go to these appointments. And that two hours, four hours round trip, I'm like alone with my mom. I have quality attention and love for my mom. And also, I remember being sick as a kid and being so catered to, so doted on. And that feels like love. So a lot of us in adulthood, we unconsciously, we're not aware of this, but we want to be sick. We want to be diagnosed with a disease. We like having physical ailments. We complain about it. We say, oh, my body is like this today, and oh, I have a headache today, and we complain as if we don't like it. But if you're honest with yourself, your ego is gaining something from it. Usually, attention, and it feels like love. Attention feels like love. So you're getting that emotional fix of being seen and heard with your disease or chronic ailments or even just PMS. It's filling an emotional need in you. And we complain and we act. So we lie and say, I don't like this. I don't want this. But really, if we're honest with ourselves, radical honesty, we are gaining something from it. So a lot of people with disease diagnosis or cancer diagnosis or chronic stuff, they get off on their suffering because they actually get doted on and cared for. And they get this level of attention that if they, if they were totally healthy, they probably wouldn't be getting that need fulfilled. So this is radical honesty. And this is a level of honesty that blew my mind. And this is why I'm doing this podcast. So Carolyn Elliott's book called Existential Kink, she uses the word kink because it's the concept of gaining pleasure from your pain. So if you have a chronic disease, you are gaining the pleasure of being cared for and taken care of and getting attention from your pain of your body. So another example to demonstrate this is a very common situation is, you know, a parent plays victim to their child. You know, their child is making them so stressed, making them so angry, you know, quote, quote unquote, making them. That's giving your power away. But anyways, you know, parents love to complain about their children. So parents claim that their child is causing them stress and they're complaining and they don't like this. But if they're honest with themselves, they're gaining some pleasure, some benefit from their child's behavior. What I think is most common is parents are getting the benefit of being seen and heard in their complaining. Complaining in general fulfills the emotional need of being seen and heard, especially in your struggle. See me, hear me in my struggle. That is what we do when we complain. So who are you if you stop complaining? Who are you? Will you be able to be seen and heard if you stop complaining? And this can, can apply to anything you're complaining about. Take notice of anything you are complaining about right now in your life to your spouse, to your friends, and do this radical honesty of inventory. And if you stopped complaining, how would you fulfill your emotional needs of being seen and heard? So Carolyn Elliott invites you to look at anything in your daily life you don't, you say you don't like, 
and look at it with the most honest lens and see what your ego could be benefiting from what you say you don't like. I have been doing this for all of the things in my life and I am blown away by what I am uncovering. Okay, with pregnancy, I have uncovered that, okay, so I can complain and say, oh, I, you know, I don't know if I'm pregnant every month and I think I am and then I never am and there's this like, mystery and this trickery of me you know for so many years always thinking I'm pregnant and then my period comes and I'm never pregnant and it's this tricker trickery with my body of I you know I think I'm pregnant and I'm I never I never am and poor me you know I have to keep dealing with this but when I looked at it I like the trickery over having no hope say not trying to have a baby, say we just stop trying. I prefer playing tricks. I prefer, you know, being in that mystery of am I pregnant, am I not? That trickery with my body. I prefer that because that's, that has hope in it. I prefer that over the feeling of no hope. So it's being honest and if I'm complaining about that trickery and oh, I think I'm always pregnant and I never am, that's not even, that's a lie because I like the trickery because I have hope in the trickery. If, if I don't, if say my husband and I are away from each other for three straight months, I would have no hope in being pregnant and I, that would be the darkest thing to feel. So it's being honest that there's a level of pleasure I get from this mystery, this trickery. And it just feels so liberating to be this honest with myself. It feels so good. So another situation with myself. I, I have so many of these situations. <laughs> I'm not going to share them all, but I'm going to share enough. Because I, I really don't have shame over them. Like I feel proud of myself and so liberated and so happy that what has been in, in the darkness is now brought to the light. I am now aware of this. So, you know, I have this, I have this control aspect of my personality that makes me feel safe in the world. I want to control things to make myself feel safe. Not having control makes me feel unsafe. So my husband and I have been trying to change the polarity in our own house where I've always been a masculine female and he's been more passive male. Well, we've been trying to flip that so he can be that masculine man and I can be that feminine woman. But if I'm honest, if he becomes that masculine man, I have to let go of control. And I don't wanna let go of control because control is how I feel safe. So it's being honest when I say I want him to step into his masculinity and be the leader of our family, I have to be willing to let go of control because my subconscious, my unconscious, you know, the shadow part of myself doesn't wanna let go of control. So it gets off on him being passive. If he's a passive man, I can unleash my control. I can utilize my control. So it's being honest. I like when he's passive because then I can be in control. And if he becomes masculine, I have to let go of control. My subconscious wants control to feel safe. So to be clear, you know, we have our conscious mind. That's our logical thinking mind. Then we have our subconscious mind. That is where our shadows lie. That is where our deep-seated beliefs are. That's where our childhood programming is. So we often are in our conscious mind thinking. And so my conscious mind says, I want my husband to be masculine. I want him to lead our house, our family. I want him to be more assertive over me. That's my conscious mind. My subconscious mind actually doesn't want that. My subconscious mind wants him passive. 
so that it can control so it can feel safe. So being honest with yourself, it requires this ability to look at the shadows, that subconscious part of yourself that lurks in the shadows that is really hidden from the conscious mind. So it's the part of us that knee-jerk says, oh, oh no, like I, I'm not purposely keeping myself poor. I, I'm not purposely wanting to be poor. The conscious mind does not understand what's in the shadows. So a lot of times we just lie to ourselves. I've talked about it on other podcasts where for years I lied to myself saying, I trust my body, I trust my body, but I never did. I just lied to myself because I wasn't ready to face that yet. And when we are ready to face something, it will surface or we will have the courage to go into the shadows and excavate what we need to see. So I just brought up money. I want to talk about the money subconscious beliefs that I have really faced. So looking back into my childhood, I really got the programming not intentionally, but just by my environment that all good people in my childhood had small, noble lives and had meager salaries. So I just learned that all good people have meager salaries because in my childhood, I was raised in a, an amazing community with good people. And, you know, none of them are rich. And so I just saw how to live a noble, good life, you should have a meager salary. And for everyone, that meagerness means different things, whether that's $50,000 or $200,000. Everyone has their own definition of meager. But when I was doing the shadow work with money, seeing what my subconscious beliefs on money really are, really and truly are, the things that came up is that there's a threshold of money that is good versus bad. So it's good to have enough money and say, I want a house. But then there's a threshold. And if you have too much money and you say, I want five houses, that makes you bad. That makes you evil. That makes you greedy. So there's a threshold of money and everyone has this own, their own threshold. So I think a lot of us have the programming that having money equals you're bad and you're greedy and you're evil. And if you're poor, you're noble and you're good. So then our subconscious keeps creating this poverty mindset and this poverty reality to keep us believing that we're noble and we're good. Because having a lot of money is very unsafe because then you become greedy and you get judged as greedy. You know, really look at how you judge rich people. This is how you really see your shadow of money. Look at how you judge the most abundant people in your life. Another thing that came up for me is that if I became so abundant, no one would, could ever relate to me again. No one would feel sorry for me. No one would have empathy for me ever again because I'm rich and they think money has solved all of my problems and I'm so happy and they think you just can't have problems if you have money. I think that's a very common societal thing with money. We diminish rich people's problems. We say, you have money? No, you have no right to complain. You cannot be in suffering if you're rich. So if I became rich, I am afraid that no one could ever relate to me at all. And I have this podcast to be relatable. I literally have this podcast and talk about my problems to to show that I'm just a human and I'm relatable and, you know, so that you can feel a little more peaceful in your life 
Like my identity is carved around relatability. So if I became rich, I would lose this identity of being relatable. So to let go of this relatability badge, I would have to let go of it if I want to be rich. So another, th- another thing with identity is with my not getting pregnant journey, I have been really looking at that and seeing how am I benefiting from my story? How was my ego benefiting from my story of not getting pregnant for years and years? And the thing that comes up is that my ego benefits from being different. It benefits from being special and unique with my unique story. You know, because most people get pregnant really fast, really easy. Well, that's basic, you know, that's normal. But for me, my story is special, it's unique, it's different. And I, my ego gets off on being different. And I even went to the origin point of where did this story of being different come from? And what came up is when my dad died when I was 12, we lived in a small community and we're in this religious community and in a small town. And when a tragedy happens in a small town, those people get put into the spotlight. And my dad was like 37, 38 years old, had six little kids, and he died suddenly. That thrust us into a weird spotlight of feeling attention, feeling special in our suffering. So that created this ego story that I'm special in my suffering. I'm different because of my suffering. And I can get attention from my suffering. You know, being different is like a badge. It's, it's who I am. So now I can really see how, how I'm benefiting from my story of not getting pregnant for years is that it makes me special and different. You know, like to have a story of, oh, I didn't, I didn't get pregnant for 10 years and then boom, I just got pregnant. People would be like, oh, what? Wow, that's different. And I get off on being different like that. So all these years, I have never faced this level of honesty with how am I benefiting from the suffering in my life? How am I actually gaining pleasure from what I say I don't like? Another thing that I am being honest with myself about is that I have always enjoyed listening to heartbreak songs or songs about grief because it awakens that feeling in me, heartbreak. When listening to a heartbreak song, it brings back those feelings and I like it. I say I don't like it, but if I'm honest with the sensations in my body, I actually like it and why I think I like it is this podcast I was listening to last week on Dr. Kelly Brogan's podcast, Reclamation Radio, which I love so much. She really (laughs) unearths a lot of things in me when I listen to her podcast. So a lot of what I uncover, honestly, is from listening to her podcast. And she said this quote about suffering that really shook me. She says, for most of us, the most intimacy we have with our vital force energy is through the embodied experience of suffering. I'm going to say that again. For most of us, the most intimacy we have with our vital force energy is through the embodied experience of suffering. Then she goes on to say, When we have a somatic experience of disappointment, and somatic means a full, you know, sensation feeling in our body, a body experience of disappointment, resentment, victimhood, we make contact with a live energy, which can feel pleasurable unconsciously, 
but consciously we hate it. So what we hate about our life, these feelings we feel of resentment, disappointment, victimhood, what we hate about our life holds massive energy. If we can bring that to the light, then we have the power of choice and intentionality. These quotes shook me because this is why people are addicted to suffering. This is why people are addicted to victimhood, why they love to complain because they get these massive sensations in their body that they actually enjoy. They feel alive. So in suffering, we make contact and intimate contact with our vital force energy, which is why I love listening to heartbreak songs. I get in contact with that vital force energy, that sensation that made me feel alive because tragedy, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much we hate it, it also makes us feel so alive. And that's the part of suffering we actually enjoy. So this is why a lot of us like to revisit our grief or pain through recreating situations in our life to keep recreating that pain or just listening to heartbreak songs to feel that pain, to feel alive. How crazy is that? It's not about shaming yourself. It's about being honest that you like the sensations in your body. And if you can be honest that you like the sensations to an extent, and and it's not saying, I love being disappointed. Sometimes actually, if you really look at it, it might be true. Because if you feel disappointed, you might feel righteous. Like I was right. I told you to do it this way and now I'm disappointed and I was right. There's ways you know, with this concept of existential kink that you probably do feel pleasure feeling disappointment. But, you know, by and large, we don't really like feeling resentment or anxiety or, you know, all of those sensations. But we do because we often keep choosing those sensations. We keep putting ourselves in situations to feel resentment. So in the book, Existential Kink, Carolyn Elliott speaks about why she kept choosing abusive relationships. And it's not because it was fate. It's not because she was just unlucky. It's that her subconscious secretly liked the feeling of being controlled by an outside agency like a man. She loved being controlled by a man. She said that she got to a space of being so radically honest about how she loved having this man treat her like a supply of heroin. And he had to have her at all times and control her at all times. She got off on that. She enjoyed it. And once she was able to be honest about that subconscious part of her of enjoying a controlling abusive man bringing the dark to the light that's how she was able to choose wiser and get out of that situation is being honest with that so any woman that chooses bad boys you know quintessential bad boys that's a kink of getting pleasure from the pain they give you. You love it. You actually like it. That's why you keep choosing bad boys. You love it. That's why you keep choosing it. You get off on it. And it's just about being honest about these parts of you. And stop lying to yourself. So to do this work, in my opinion, it's all about being present with the sensations in your body when you are feeling something. So I am going through a new inventory on labeling emotions. And 
a new emotion that I have labeled and discovered within my body that I've never really experienced or been able to label before is the emotion of pity. And, and for me, people think pity, I don't know why people don't understand the emotion of pity because real pity feels in my body as dark and low as shame. So something that I discovered is that if I was able to reach the abundance level that I would love to reach in my life, you know, become the the richness that I want, I would, I could then feel extreme pity, which is heartbreak. To me, it's like deep heartbreak for the people in my life that have not achieved abundance like me. And I feel my heart breaks for them because they might need it more than me. So I can see where my shadow self might be preventing me from reaching more abundance because it doesn't want to feel the deep, dark feeling of pity for other people. If you become so abundant, so so rich in your life, will your heart break for your family members that have nothing? But they're responsible for their own life. And yes, you can, you can help them, you can support them in whatever way you want, but you're not going to be able to save everyone. If you become rich, you're not going to be able to save your entire family, your everyone. It's not your job either. But there is beauty in supporting people if you have the means. But I think if we can picture ourselves with the level of abundance we want and and feel that sensation, the sensation I felt was dark. It was so dark. It, It was pity and my heart broke for the people in my life that would not have the abundance I have. And that is a level of honesty that I need to face because that is a very real situation that could happen if I became abundant. So what if my subconscious is preventing this abundance by preventing this heartbreak that I could feel if I became rich? Some of this is hypothetical Um, but this emotion of pity, you know, does go back to my childhood. So I know it could be a real possibility for me, but this brings up the question of what would you lose if you got everything you wanted in life? What are the things that you would have to lose? For example, I would have to lose relatability if I became rich. No one would have empathy for me anymore. No one would relate to me anymore. No one would let me complain anymore. I would have to lose that in order to become abundant. If I became more abundant, I might have to lose the low level of responsibility in my life. You know, having more abundance um, might bring more responsibility. It might bring more stress. I don't know about that, but I do know it would bring a different level of responsibility because it's, you know, you are becoming more abundant. So how, you know, you're utilizing your time in a different way. You are interacting in the world in a different way. So, you know, you might lose um, time. You might, you might not be able to have as many me days as you currently do. Not to say you can't have balance, but you know, it it will require more time. So what will you lose, potentially lose, if you could gain everything you want in life? If you want a romantic partner, what will you lose from your current life? Most likely the level of freedom you currently have. You probably do whatever you please, whenever you want it, you travel whenever you want, you do all these things, you have ultimate freedom. And then meeting a partner means you are now in a partnership. 
and you will have to be a team now. It's not all about you. It's not all about what you want and what you desire. It's the team's vision and the team's goals and desires. So facing how your life will change if you get what you want. And are you willing for your life to change? Another aspect to this that I want to speak on is that what we desire so intensely is typically what we fear so intensely. For example, you want to be seen for who you are so bad. That is what you want. But also, you keep up a million emotional walls to avoid being seen because your deepest fear is to be so fully seen because that's terrifying because if someone really saw the real you and they ran away they ran away because they saw the real you that's what we tell ourselves you know but if you put keep these walls up and you're not really your authentic self and they run away well it's because i wasn't my true self you know like you know i was a little fake you know I wasn't fully authentic and that's why they ran. But if you are so fully authentic, so fully yourself and you are seen in that and you're abandoned or rejected, that is truly the most terrifying thing for an ego. So for example, say you want to trust God so much, say that's your desire. You want to trust God. But also trusting God is the most terrifying thing to your ego because then you have to let go of all of your coping mechanisms like control, like worry. You say you want to trust your husband so fully. You want to trust him to lead your family, your life. But in order to get the thing you desire, you have to give up your micromanaging. You have to give up your control. But your control makes you feel safe. So really trusting your husband can be the greatest thing you fear because then you have to let go of your control and you don't want to. So what we fear and what we desire is often the same thing. So for me, it could be I desire free birth so bad. That's what I hope to experience in my life. But also, I am terrified of sabotaging my own birth and, and dealing with that level of guilt or power. Or you might desire a romantic partner so bad. That's what you want. But once you get the thing you desire, then it opens you up to your greatest fear of being abandoned, of being rejected, being betrayed. Another example, say you desire to lose weight. I would argue there's an aspect to you that is terrified of losing weight. How could that be? I don't know. There could be many possibilities, but maybe... Maybe if you lost that weight, you would have to be the person you say you want to be. And that takes courage. You know, say, say the weight you're at, you know, prevents you from being, you know, the sexual goddess you want to be in the bedroom. And you're like, oh, no, I can't do that, you know, because I weigh this much and, you know, I just can't do that. And so if you lost that weight, you would have to be face that vulnerability and become the person you say you want to be at that weight. There's also an, also an aspect to this that I would love to bring up of, I think our egos love the chase more than the actual outcome or the goal. And you, I don't know why, you have to ask yourself why. Why does your ego love the chase of losing weight? Why does your ego love the chase of success? Why does your ego love the chase of validation, external validation? And then once you get the external validation, you just move on to the next chase. Why is it that your ego enjoys the chasing 
more than the having. So ask yourself, how could it be that the thing you desire so much could also be the thing you fear so much? So for me, again, it comes up with free birth and I desire a free birth. And I already mentioned the, f- the fear of sabotaging my own birth, but the deeper layer to this fear is, so I desire free birth, but I also fear it because if I sabotage my own birth and transfer to a hospital and do that basic storyline of, you know, kind of copying out of a home birth, then I am not different. I am not unique. Like I say I am. So then who am I? So it challenges the belief of who I think I am and the story of who I am. Because what I desire so much also has the potential to really break apart the story of who I am. And my identity is, you know, who really I am. My identity wrap, gets wrapped up in that I'm different, right? I'm not, I'm not normal. I'm not basic. I'm not mainstream. And so if, if I did a normal thing like transfer from a home birth to a hospital... I'm not different, I'm not unique. And I have to sit with that. And I am afraid of that. So it's just being honest with myself. It's not about being hard on yourself. It's, it's not about being ashamed of this. It's just bringing the shadows to the light. Because the unconscious is what rules our life. We manifest from our unconscious. And so... The way your life currently looks is basically a reflection of your subconscious mind, of your shadows. So if you bring your shadows to the light, they don't hold the power over you anymore. You're aware of them, and that's everything. The last aspect that I want to hit on with this topic is what is your havingness level? of money, of love, of joy, of presence? What is your ceiling of a feeling? So if you are so present, most of us have a ceiling of that feeling of presence. And then we exit out of the feeling. This can really happen in sex where a woman, and I'm going to only speak to a woman's experience because I'm a woman, but a woman is feeling pleasure or presence in sex, and then she reaches her ceiling and then goes into her mind and starts thinking and overanalyzing and wanting to control the situation. So a lot of us have a very low threshold of feeling pleasure. A lot of us have a very low threshold of feeling presence, true presence. I think I listened to this concept on the Kelly Brogan Reclamation Radio podcast maybe two months ago. So I don't think I've talked about it on this podcast yet. Maybe just on my Instagram stories. But the ceiling of a feeling, for example, presence or joy, the way I heard it on a podcast is say you're out in your garden and you're in joy and bliss and presence gardening and you're really present and then you start, you reach your ceiling. You reached your ceiling, your, ha- your limit of feeling presence and then you start going into your mind and thinking about your to-do list and then worrying about the thing that has to get done tomorrow and oh, the health issue your kid has and that's typically what happens. We self-sabotage that moment ourselves because of a ceiling of a feeling. So this is also in the existential kink book. And she says, you know, say you just hung out with your friend and it was so enjoyable. You loved it. And then you got into your car and you're feeling so good. You're, you know, you're just feeling so good. And then about 15 minutes in or even less than that, five minutes in, you start thinking about something they said and you're like, oh my gosh, like, did they mean that was offensive? Like actually what they, what they said was offensive. 
And then you start thinking about how you're offended by one of their comments and your joy limit just reached its ceiling. And then you start self-sabotaging that moment. And then you bring yourself back down and you might even bring yourself into an offended feeling. So I would also argue that our ceiling of a feeling of presence is increasingly getting lower and lower and lower because look at when you reach your ceiling, you probably grab your phone and scroll. So look at how low of a threshold of presence we typically have before we grab our phone. You know, sitting at a stoplight, right? Um, Sitting in a waiting room. Commercials between TV shows. Our presence level is getting lower because of the phone. And when we hit this ceiling, this threshold, we might grab our phone, we might turn on the TV. You know, if the TV's not on, we might turn on the TV because we're too present and we need to sabotage that. So we turn on the TV. Or maybe we're in our car and we're in silence and we're so present. And then we reach our ceiling and then we have to put a podcast on and we have to put music on. What about the ceiling of good feelings and love in a relationship? You know, what if things are just going so good for a full week or two weeks? You know, there's been no nitpicking, no fighting, no nothing. And you reach your ceiling and then you have to somehow create an issue to bring that ceiling back down. And most of us have a ceiling with money. Most of us have a havingness level of money. Once we reach that limit of, oh, this is the max money I should be making, then we find reasons to spend that money. Or I think knowing what your level is with money is when I have experienced, you know, saying, oh, I want a vacation home, then saying, I want five vacation homes. Five is excessive. That goes beyond my ceiling. That's, that's too much. That's beyond my threshold. Or money, like say, you say, I want to make $200,000 a year. That might feel fine, but then if you say, I want to make $100 million a year, That's going to be probably above your ceiling of what's allowed. So it's about reflecting and being honest about where your ceilings are because these ceilings are unconscious. They're just there. And once we reach that ceiling, we unconsciously sabotage ourselves to bring ourselves back down. And until you look at your ceiling, until you look at that unconscious ceiling, it will rule your life. This whole podcast is all about bringing what's unconscious to the light. Because if you're not aware of this, it's running your show and you don't even know it. And then you have no agency, you actually have no power. You're not using your co-creative power in the universe with God. You're not co-creating your life. <laughs> you, 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 you aren't. Obviously, to do this level of shadow work requires great awareness. So much awareness of why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you choosing that? Why are you doing that action? Why are you creating that drama? Why are you self-sabotaging? Why are you nitpicking? Why are you controlling? Why are you spending this money? How are you judging this rich person? We often judge others in the way we're terrified of being judged ourselves. So if you don't want abundance, it's probably because of the ways you you judge rich people. You know, like, are they even good people? Like, I think a lot of us have opinions and beliefs that, you know, rich people just typically aren't good people. And, and honestly, in my life, my conscious mind knows abundant 
really good people, but my subconscious mind doesn't believe it. So I'm looking at that. Um, I'm also looking at this belief where imagining my husband with a lot of money makes me nervous because I'm afraid money is going to corrupt him. So I trust myself with money, I think, more than if my husband became really abundant. I get scared of, of losing, like losing influence over him and money is going to have all the influence over him. And he then might get corrupt from money. Um, there's just so much. Honestly, there is so much to this topic. So ultimately, it's about being aware of what you are doing minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. It's about being aware. It's about being conscious of your reactions and your actions and your judgments and your thoughts. That's that shadowy stuff. It's about being present with the sensations in your body and labeling those emotions. You know, like when you feel deep disappointment, do you actually feel alive and do you actually like that feeling of alive energy? It's about being curious. You know, is it possible? Is it possible you're gaining pleasure from your pain? Is it possible? I don't know, I think it's fun being curious. You know, our, a lot of times we have this reaction of no, no, it's not possible, but when we really look at it, it's quite possible. <laughs> it, is, it is possible and it is true for, for me. That's what I've been looking at. I would love if any of you do this process and uncover amazing things, message me and let me know. I want to know. I, I really enjoy this work. This is actually fun shadow work. I think it's because I value honesty so deeply. It's who I am. I love honesty. And so this level of honesty, I get off on it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 